This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 157, A Career on Stage. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back. It's Jason Lynette here with a content pack session directly from the Canadian Hypnosis Convention back in October 2017, which you actually have a couple of options here. Option number one is continue to listen to this as a podcast. The audio alone carries the information or head over to the actual show notes over at worksmarthypnosis.com where we're actually going to embed the video of this presentation. So rather than listen, you can watch it. You know, I began my career as a stage hypnotist. That's how all of this really began. And then from there, leading over to more so the hypnotherapy side of things, though still maintaining quite a bit of stage hypnosis these days. And I'd encourage, especially for those of you that may not directly have the interest in becoming the stage hypnotist, Listen to this presentation in terms of building real genuine moments inside of your program, the ability to take your lecture demonstration and make it even more dynamic to draw in that audience and really to have them interacting, giving them an experience, as I like to say, show rather than just tell. It's how so often I get to one of these lecture demos and they've got that lectern set up for me to stand behind. And my first question is always, where can I put this? Let it become more of a dynamic presentation, give people the experience, the wow factor of hypnosis, and that's what really drives your business. So once again, you can listen to it here or head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com to watch the video of the presentation. I'd also encourage you to check out the upcoming trainings that I've got, the live events, which are coming up as worksmartnlp.com, dates and details there, as well as the actual hypnosis training and certification course that is worksmarthypnosislive.com. Check out that as well as the training page over at worksmarthypnosis for all the dates and details. And with that, let's jump directly into this content here. This is session number 157 a career on stage. It's an interesting moment that a lot of the programs that I did as a stage hypnotist uh, were working for schools. And there's this thing that we have a lot of in the States that's called an after-prom or an after-grad event where it's after um, the prom, they do some sort of lock-in event where it's this overnight event and the students are there from like 11 at night till 6 in the morning. Uh, or maybe it's after graduation. And the whole reason behind this type of event was basically safe, clean environment, and that way the kids are not going off and drinking and producing more children, to say it politely. Um, so I'm at one of these events, which is actually right around the corner from where I live in Alexandria, Virginia. And um, there's this moment where someone's approaching me, and because it's an overnight event, because there's the monitoring of safety and security, you know, they'd often, the policy, at least in this county, was they could hire off-duty police officers, and the format was the police officers were very happy with this because they were getting paid time and a half, and the school was only responsible for the half, and the county was covering the time. So, amazing opportunity. So, the story is... This giant, almost football player of a police officer is walking over to me. I mean, towering over, just built with muscle. He's got the belt. He's got the gun. Police officer in the States. Are you the hypnotist? 
Yeah? I have always wanted to volunteer for one of these shows. Could I please go up there? Yes, you may. And the last minute thought, by the way, was, oh, could you take off the belt and leave that with the other officer? <laughs> because there's the moment of, you're on a beach, it's really cold, hug the person next to you, keep warm. And I'm just thinking, I don't need whatever that thing is falling out and hitting the ground. Uh, and, and I tell that story just to simply say, be in the present, be in the moment. You know, as we look at these different environments, this would apply for any venue, even those of you working with clients. Um, there's a this is about to get wonderfully stereotypical. Uh, there's a, think of every image uh, in your mind when I say like, what was the TV show a while ago? Um, oh, what was it with like Snooky and the whole New Jersey, Long Island scene? I forget the name of that, Jersey Shore. Whatever stereotypes you can think of when I say Jersey Shore, punch it up and make it even worse, and that's this event that I'm at. And <laughs> I'm there and I'm looking around and it's this event planner that had organized it. They hired me to do this program. And as I'm looking around, my comment was, it's going to be a very heavy show with just guys. She goes, how can you tell that? I go, because every girl here is wearing a skirt basically to here. And the moment they sit down on my stage, it's going to be an entirely different show. And that's not what this program is about. Now, in my little rolling sound suitcase where all my stuff is, I've got some little black towels, you know, like something they can put on their lap, but I don't have that many. Luckily, here's the one girl who's wearing a pantsuit, and she's the one who's now the star of the show, and everyone else. I brought up the, all the volunteers, but as I went through my dismissals, I was getting rid of the ones that just weren't clearly in a way that they could be dressed. The same way that someone could be in your office. And I mean, I always have off to the side this little blanket, and... It's not even a question. It's not even a conversation. It's just immediately, hey, you'll be more comfortable with this. You know, even in the summer seasons where someone's wearing shorts, just that little bit of a safety nuance just builds that comfort inside of it. Um, I, I have to tell you the uh, header of this uh, note of mine before I launch into the story, because it's just simply referred to as Nazi teenagers. Let's just stop the presentation here. So... <laughs> I'm doing the school program, and uh, the principal, the, the school advisor, is there, and he's taking a ton of photos. This is great. Would it be okay if we did a whole spread in the yearbook about your program that you did here? Oh, you're going to put pictures of the program in the yearbook? Why, yes. Go right ahead. Could I get a copy? And wonderful piece of promotion. Now, thankfully, he's sending me these photos, and he's going hey, we really like this one. We really like that one. This one's my favorite. During my induction on stage, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, during my induction, it's very active. And I'll give you the preview before we get there. Here is the format of most stage hypnotist program. Let's get you really excited out in the audience. Let's get you excited to come up on my stage. Let me bore the hell out of you for the next 10 minutes. And now let me try to excite you once again to get you back to where you were before. The induction needs to be entertaining. The induction needs to have some action, stuff that they can track, stuff that they can follow along with. So inside of my induction, there's a standard hypnosis moment of the arm is stiff and rigid. Open your eyes, try to bend that arm. Those of you that were with me during the pre-conference, it's that sequence of how I do the testing convincer. And I'm doing that with a group of people. And it's that moment where all the people are on stage. The eyes are open. They're looking at their arm. 
and I'm talking to them, I'm interacting. Yeah, this person over here, what does that feel like? Describe that, and we're getting that interaction. It's driving them deeper into hypnosis, and it's entertaining. So the photo that is his favorite of the show is 20, 16, 17-year-olds on stage, and they're all sitting there like this. <laughs> Which, when I turn this into a video afterwards, that will not be the screenshot of the video, by the way. <laughs> um, and ever since then, that's why it became, take this hand, squeeze it into a fist. As you extend that arm outwards, feel it getting stronger and stronger. Which, granted, this means something else. But I'll take this over this any day. So it's where inside of it, as we're this culture that, let's just say it simply. They'll go, no worries. Um, and that's how you make a million dollars your first year in hypnosis. Hey, welcome. Come on in. So we don't cover the information we already talked about. I know, it's all good. <laughs> um, that's a dirty, rotten ploy I play in every class, by the way. Someone walks in late and I just fold in the... And that's basically how you get someone to stop smoking in five minutes. So, moving on. <laughs> you didn't miss it. So, um, and I'm going to make this video available to you. They're going to have their phones out. It's just, that's the society we're in today. Uh, there's a beautiful moment I saw. I was in Vegas a couple of months ago. And there's Terry Fader, who won the talent program, uh, America's Got Talent. He's a ventriloquist act, the impersonations, the puppets are doing these voices. And it's this beautiful shift that you walk into his theater, and there's a sign that says, take all the photos and videos that you want, which that's his promotion. That's how they're seeing it. So rather than fight it, instead embrace it. So it's this little nuance of, here's 20 high schoolers on stage, and the arms out like that, there's a fun entry to come in. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what's the image? So it's where my background, uh, I was in stage management in theater. I wasn't acting, directing, or designing. My job was to sit there and monitor rehearsals, schedule everything out. And you learn a lot about directing by watching either good directing or bad directing. So it's these little nuances of, it's a routine where you're interviewing people, and so often, this is what the audience is seeing. Or the stage hypnotist is behind the row of chairs interviewing, and there's backs to the audience. You are the director of your program. So as simple as it can become, okay, um, here's this moment where these people are going to be uh, in a conversation about something, and hilarity is ensuing based on your suggestions. Great, come over here, stand over here, and you stand over there and you're staging that moment. Everyone's facing the audience, and you can play that back and forth in that moment. So that little bit of a nuance in terms of staging it. And as is my usual style, a couple of moments in, my name is Jason Lynette. I'm here from the Alexandria, Virginia area, and uh, m most of my background, what got me into this, I'll give you the abbreviated version because I did some of it last night, was that I saw a stage hypnosis program. Oh, that's cool. I want to learn that. That's what I jumped into. I was working full-time in management for the arts, and management in arts is uh, nonprofit theater, is nonprofit for everybody involved. Uh, <laughs> so my first year full-time in hypnosis, the goal was I've just got to beat my current income. I've just got to match it, and let's just set the goals relatively conservative for the first year out. So if I can manage to earn more than $28,000, I'm going to do okay, and the first year out was well around 70 or 80, and then taking off even further from there. Again, stage hypnotist with a hypnotherapist mindset, 
it was always, what's the solution? Why am I here? So I wasn't going after the comedy club. I wasn't going after that type of venue. It was instead, how can we solve an issue by using this program to get into that conversation there? So nuances, there's some details. We've just simply called this a lifetime on stage, lessons from a pro, uh, which granted nowadays, I am not currently advertising stage hypnosis anymore. Uh, for a good reason. My interest is in other parts of what I do, yet I'm still actively doing a bunch of programs because the beauty of it is, as a marketing strategy, I was never selling the program. I was selling the tradition of having the program back year after year after year. So with a school group, it would become, yeah, we're going to build momentum with this. They're going to be talking about this, and here's the result. There's a little nuance, a little marketing strategy about future pacing as hypnotists. Instead, let me introduce you to product pacing. Product pacing is a marketing strategy of selling the result once you're already inside of it. So I'll give you a few examples. When you're on the phone with me and you're coming in for a way of, uh, of for hypnotherapy, for a change process, Throughout the conversation, it's a very subtle strategy. Well, when you see the forms that I'm going to send you, you'll see that I'm gathering from you what your goals are, and that's what shapes our process together. What's the presupposition? You're going to be booking with me, and I'm going to be sending you the forms. When I'm on the phone with you for a school program, for a corporate group, well, as we build the tradition, so you're going to see that next year as we do the program again, here is the result that happens as this becomes a tradition. And this is my simple strategy that if you've ever been, I do a ton of webinars. If I'm selling a digital course, I'm not selling the action point of making the purchase. Instead, I'm selling the moment where when you open up the confirmation email you're going to receive from me, here's where I want you to go first. And when you're inside of the program, then go into the Facebook group and introduce yourself and share your goals. And we're going to guide you to the next step of this process. So I'm not selling the decision point. I'm selling the action, which is after the decision point. And by doing that, what's the presupposition? Yeah. So it's this little strategy that you can use to everything that you do, which flies under the radar. And it's where my true opinion is the person is contacting us because they have a goal. Therefore, is within our ethical responsibility to use every appropriate strategy to help them to reach that goal. And if it's a client, I can do that better when you're in the office with me. If it's a show, I can do that better when I'm there presenting that program. If it's a product, I'm going to do that better when you're inside making use of that product. So that idea of product pacing. So it's where, as we go into that, there's some shifts in terms of the stage hypnosis environment, which are going to apply from the stage hypnosis even over to working with clients. Let's just squash this one little BS thing that's out there right now. It is not a numbers game. It is not a numbers game. So people who would say, you've got to bring up a big group of volunteers. You've got to have a big audience. There are so many people out there who would cancel a show because of a lightly attended event, which, no, no. And if you're in here earlier, there was a great story about doing a program with a small audience. My first show uh, was about maybe 10 people in the audience. I got three volunteers. There's now seven in the audience. And the first program was this one really, really big guy who the technical term was, he was a flopper. 
No matter what suggestion I gave, you'll sit upright in that chair, your body stiff and rigid, the back of your chair like a seatbelt. No, he's flopping over. And it's these two women that are up there with him that are like maybe five foot tall, maybe 100 pounds if they were wearing a soaking wet parka, and um, he's just flopping over. It's a danger. It's a safety issue now. So I'm realizing, okay, he is deeply there. They're okay. This isn't safe. I dismissed the two of them. My first show was with one person doing the whole thing, which, again, building that confidence, which there's sometimes this concern around, you know, can you do both? Can you do the stage hypnosis? Can you also do the hypnotherapy side? And the answer simply is, it's all about framing. So someone calls me and they say, well, I see you do this funny program. Well, there's two sides to that. One, here's my hypnotherapist as a stage hypnotist mindset, which is that I'm there to solve a problem. I'm there to create a result. Though at the same time, consider the skills necessary to deeply hypnotize a committee of 20 people and work with them as if they're 20 individuals to keep most of them up there, which all of a sudden now, it's just you and me, product pacing, it's just you and me in the office you know, the least of our concerns is getting into that hypnotic state, which allows us to put our full focus on helping you get that change. Smiling and nodding, even though I'm on the phone, because they can hear the intention. Sound good? Oh, yeah. So it's where the skills directly correlate from one to the other. So it's where it's not a numbers game. It's a matter of being in the present, in the moment, with those people. And as we like to say as hypnotists, thank you, Charles Tebbets, deal with what emerges. And to be able to look at these people and realize that they're all going in at different levels, which right there is your framework, by the way, to make that stage induction massively entertaining. I'll leave out who this is because I don't want to reference it as a negative, but it's that uh, point of view to go, here's this one stage hypnotist who does a phenomenal show, but he then looks at the audience and says, this is the boring part. Stick with me for the next seven or eight minutes. We'll get to the entertaining part in a few moments. What does he now telegraph to the audience? This is the boring part. And you know what's interesting is that in the old school approach, the stage hypnotist would go off microphone to hypnotize the, volley, the committee of volunteers. I'm going to stay on microphone. You're going to hear every technique. You're going to hear every strategy. And watch in the audience because you'll be able to see exactly how I work with these 20 people as individuals. And you're going to be able to see exactly where they're going, and you're going to be able to predict in advance exactly who's going to become the star of the show. So watch. This is where it gets interesting. And I've just put that framework around that induction, and suddenly now it's one of the most entertaining parts of the program. And it's that commentary to be in the audience with your audience. So something happens, and I'm reacting to it too. Something happens, which, by the way, this is my entire mindset of how I deal with hypnotic phenomenon in my office. It's not, I am the almighty hypnotist, and I commanded thine arm to not bend. Ha ha, no. It's instead, my mindset is, I'm sitting in that movie theater seat next to you, and we're both watching this really cool thing happen, and it's me going, that doesn't happen every day, does it? Yeah, what does that feel like? Yeah, try it now. What happens? Try to bend that arm. It gets even stronger. Yeah, you're doing great. To have that just human moment inside of it. So it's where, be present in your program. It's where, what got me out, I had a hobby doing magic uh, as a teenager. What got me out of it was I was watching this illusion show one time. And uh, it was uh, on the theatrical production side. 
they did a dry tech rehearsal of it where they do the sounds, they do the routines. They're kind of marking through the thing. They're not going full stage performance. Yet um, it was the same show whether there was an audience there or not. And it's that interaction. That's what's different about this type of presentation. So it's not a numbers game. And if it is a numbers game for you, I just have to simply say get better training. Because basically, if it's the here's my seven-minute routine that I'm going to rattle off, and at the end of it, who's deeply hypnotized and who's looking at me confused, it's where I'm basically doing a modified Dave Elman induction on stage for the reason of his work says that litmus test the whole way through. Who's working with me? Who's not in compliance with a simple moment? And that's how I'm making my selections of who I'm going to work with there inside of it. Um, it's where, again... My style of drawing up the volunteers is that I have them raise their hands and then I invite them up. In my world of hypnosis, compliance precedes suggestibility. Compliance precedes suggestibility. I need you in sync with me. I need you in rapport with me. I need you following my instructions before I can lead you to that magical moment. So let's take a moment of arm catalepsy. Take the hand, squeeze it into a fist. As we lift it up together, Another point, let the hand stay right there. As I let go, let it float in position. If I can't get you to that, I'm not going to get you to this. And it's where I hate this next framework of what I'm about to say to you, but it's absolutely true. People would often ask, how are you selecting your volunteers? They're raising their hands, and how are you then picking from them? Is it a character type? Is it something of a demographic nature. No. The first round is, as I'm doing suggestibility tests with the audience, I am hypnotically implanting X's on the people that are not in compliance with me. So everybody now, take your hands, hold them up just like this. This is fun. Give them a shake, give them a wiggle. That has nothing to do with hypnosis. That just makes me smile. Thank you. <laughs> take those hands, clap them together. Interlock those fingers down, squeeze them tightly down. So keep them squeezing tightly down. Just watch me for the next couple of moments. Don't do this yet. Because in a moment, at the count of three, you're going to take your two fingers just like this and extend them out in front of you at the count of three. Not yet. Bring them back down. Good. At the count of three. At the count of three, you're going to stare at the space between those two fingers. And when you do that, imagine there are two hyper-powered magnets on those fingers. Two really strong magnets. Watch what happens. Here we go. One, two, three. Extend those fingers. Look at the space between and begin to feel those fingers squeezing, pulling closer and closer together. In fact, the more you try to keep them apart, they draw closer and closer down. When they touch, let them drop into your lap. As they draw closer and closer and closer, and we've got them, shake your hands nice and free. Give yourselves a round of applause. So, little nuance. Most people, when they do the finger magnets, they get you in this position, and then they keep talking. This is a physiological stunt. The moment the fingers are in this position, they're going to start to draw together. So my goal was to create the magical moment for everybody at the same time. That's why I'm doing this buildup, which, by the way, having you squeeze the hands together is putting more tension on those joints, those ligaments. And by the time you open up, they're going to draw even faster. So most people, when they do that, hold your fingers like this. In a moment, here's what's going to happen. It's already happening. So instead, have them in that moment. My typical sequence would be I do that finger magnets, I do a light and heavy arm, and then maybe, does anyone here not know the circle test, the, this thing? I don't know that. Okay, hold your hand up in the air just like this. Squeeze into a fist. 
open up, squeeze into a fist, open up. This is all we do for one hour. Squeeze, open, squeeze, okay. Take your thumb and finger, make it into as perfect as a circle as you can. Some parts of your hand are not shaped the right way to make a circle, but do the best you can. Look back over here at my face. Take your circle, stick it directly on your chin. Okay, good, because your chin is down here. Now, I don't do that to say gotcha, but um, gotcha. Uh, but why do I show you that? Well, when we talk about hypnosis, it's what we call that bypassing of the critical parts of your mind. This is a true statement. You saw every action I did, right? Yeah. You heard every word I said, correct? And yet in that moment, you bypassed my verbal suggestion to instead follow the visual suggestion. And that's exactly like what's going to happen on stage tonight. When you're up here with me, you're going to hear everything I say. You're going to remember as much as you would from any normal conversation. And we're just shifting that reality for you to have some outstanding experiences. By the way, product pacing once again, when you're up here with me, this is what's going to be happening. So the whole way through that buildup, I'm telling you, you're coming up here. But back to that moment of that selection phase, I hate this, but it works. What am I doing? Light and heavy arms, finger magnets, circle test. Uh, I'm looking out there, and you're the one who is doing every bit of what I say. Awesome. Check mark in my head. You're the one. You're following everything. Check mark. I'm going to make fun of you. This isn't you. And you're the... Um, Let's use the appropriate terminology. You're the asshole who is then swatting the arms of your friends as they're trying to do the light and heavy arms. You're not an asshole. But you're the one doing that, and I'm going, oh, hell no. Uh, I'm doing that. Compliance precedes suggestibility. If I don't have that compliance out in the audience, I'm not going to get it in that moment, which is a little nuanced, by the way. I used to do light and heavy arms. And then I'd be in my head going, this is a jaded audience. They don't want to participate. Uh, and what was happening was the sequence was wrong. I don't have enough rapport with them yet. And I was asking them to close their eyes and do this. And then one day, by accident, I forgot my order. And I did this one, which is an eyes open phenomenon moment. Oh, that's cool. And then I went for this one. And I am stunned silent because everybody's in compliance doing it. So stair-stepping that rapport, stair-stepping that hypnotic suggestibility. I wrap up last with the eyes closed suggestibility test because at this point now, they're in sync with me. So think about it, the entire experience is hypnotic in nature. Um, to talk some of the formats of it, my little note to myself is lovely phrased of lower your standards. <laughs> when we talk about stage hypnosis, there are those who want to have the big Vegas show. They want to have the name and lights. They want it to be this wonderful, glamorous thing. And the markets that I was the most interested in working with um, were definitely not that. My Vegas was a high school auditorium at 3 in the morning. Um, and even this may be my odd sense of humor. If it was a corporate event, here's this one moment. I'm doing the holiday party of a Honda dealership. They're paying me $4,000. They're putting me up in a hotel. And just for my own amusement, I'm making it a point. I am changing into my suit from the, honestly, pajama pants. I drove the six hours to get there. It's like I woke up. It's like, well, I've taken a shower. This is comfortable for six hours drive. I'll put this on and just wear a jacket over it. Um, and I'm changing into my suit in a gas station which was my little moment of going, stay humble, don't get full of yourself, stay humble, don't get full of yourself. But it's where these, these venues, 
It's the presentation that creates it. In the theater world, uh, one of the common references is that moment where the stage production of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, the recording is Carol Channing. The movie is Marilyn Monroe. And uh, keep it topical, right? And to keep it current. <laughs> and the story is always that Carol Channing could play beautiful better than Marilyn Monroe was. So it's where that lesson is you are creating that environment. You are creating that environment of that presentation. So it doesn't matter if it's this dingy little area. It doesn't matter if you show up and if you saw me, I walked in right away and went, I'm shifting the lights. I'm taking control of the space. Um, it's that theatrical mindset again of immediately going, okay, this doesn't go here. This goes here. This is where I want it to go. Of you're the one creating that environment and it's your projection of what you create that to be. That's what builds that presentation. I mentioned staying in the moment. Accidents will happen during your presentation. Though sometimes these accidents get the biggest laugh. And it's where one of the best things you can possibly do is to start to play the game of how do I reverse engineer this so that accident happens every show. There's a standard routine, um, whatever the location. You're on a beach, you're on a bus. It's getting really hot. Fan yourself. Find a way to keep yourself cool. Now it's getting really cold. Try to warm yourself up. And the whole punchline is to get to the moment of, it's so cold, the person next to you is a body heater just for you. Grab on. Huddle up to that person next to you. The whole reason to do that routine. And there's a moment where I'm doing this program for a corporate group, and by accident, I'm standing over here, and the guy is then suddenly, I'm looking over here, and suddenly I'm being grabbed onto. <laughs> And it gets the biggest laugh, and I'm standing there in stunned silence going, try to think of something funny, but it's getting a bigger laugh that I'm saying nothing. The person next to you is really, really warm. Even better, the person compounding. The person on the other side is twice as warm. Grab a hold of them. Keep them warm, too. And I'm standing in proximity, and thank you, he's keeping me warm. So it becomes this moment that that was an accident that occurred, and the thought became, how do I reverse engineer this now to happen in every single program? Which it now does. And wouldn't you believe it? Oh, does that happen often? Oh, it's a surprise when that happens. <laughs> now, I'm over on this group of people, and there's a bit of staging at times to be aware of. I am casting my show as I'm building it. I am putting people in the right position for certain moments to be effective. And I am making sure that that routine, by the way, is not funny if um, it's this rather attractive woman at the end and she's the one grabbing me. That has a very different connotation. If it's the biggest, burliest guy on stage and he's the one grabbing me, it's hilarious. Otherwise, it's an entirely different connotation. So when I'm moving people around, I am making sure this guy at the end is that big character type. I'm over on this side. It's getting really cold. Grab onto the person next to you. That person next to you is really, really warm. And I'm then crossing behind my volunteers. And as I'm now in a territory that you all get this reference better than we do in the States, it's the terminology of a hockey hip check where I am walking behind. Their eyes are closed in this routine. And I am just, bam, right into that person, respectfully. <laughs> I'm here going, and the person on the other side is even warmer. Grab a hold, and I am over here playing the game of look, don't see. But he's now felt I'm over here. The person on the, bam, other side is even warmer. Grab a hold of them. 
And suddenly I'm looking here and wouldn't you believe it by accident, every single program, they grab a hold of me. What rotten luck. It happens every single time. And I look surprised every single time, which be in the moment. Though as things happen, as things occur, it's that little bit suggestions are not just words. Suggestions are sounds. Suggestions are sensations and actions. And just because of that hockey hip check, I'm getting that to happen. Which, by the way, let's put that into a hypnotherapy context for a moment. Um, I would talk about submodalities and how wonderful they are, but then you might leave me and go hang out with Shelley Stockwell, who's talking about submodalities right now. Uh, <laughs> but in submodality work, to ask the question of the client, that feeling inside of you you're here to change, where is that the strongest in my chest? Elicit the sensation of the fear. What does it feel like? Become aware of its color, its texture. What sounds are coming from that area? What's the movement of it? And then as you're building up the more empowered emotional state, the simple shift now is to ask, and as you focus on that confidence, where is that confidence now? And almost every single time, they're going to place it in the same area where that old problem feeling used to be. And wouldn't you believe it? This doesn't happen every single time, but now you're the one who's decided it lives in the same area, and these two feelings cannot exist in the same place. I wouldn't be doing that in my sessions if it wasn't for the fact that this silly accident on stage motivated this mindset to go, how do I reverse engineer this to happen every single time? Let's talk technology for a moment. Technology can be as simple or as complicated as you want it to be. A little thing I did years ago, which I cannot necessarily say go off and do the sound system that I have done, because admittedly I'm using a little sound system that um, the man who created it uh, since folded the company, and I think I own one of 12 that works. Uh, it's called the IQ2. Don't write it down. You're not going to be able to find it. It connects a iPod Nano second edition, uh, which is the model from like I think eight or nine years ago, if not further. Uh, it only works with that generation, which means I keep going on Craigslist and buying more of them just out of fear they're going to crash, um, which is fun when my six-year-old goes, I want an iPhone. Oh, hell no. Uh, <laughs> but she wants it for the music. Okay. Here's an iPod Nano. Why? Daddy has a shoebox of them. Uh, <laughs> the iPods keep breaking. The system doesn't. But it's where you can do remote control sound. You can do what like Brandon had last night, having someone else run sound. But basically what I did years ago was I mounted in an aluminum camera case everything I needed. So when I show up, this camera case has my sound mixer, my microphone, and then my little remote control sound system and two cables run out, a cable to the sound and a cable for the power. And that's it. Because the setup for me on the sound side used to be hours of running cables and setting things up. And now, which by the way, that IQ system has a big digital readout on it, which makes it really fun to have this big metal cable box with a digital countdown when flying. <laughs> they don't like that. Luckily, this system does have an internal uh, speaker and uh, a little nuance around pop culture, um, especially with working with teenagers. They have a love-hate relationship with all things current pop music. They either love Taylor Swift or they hate everything about her. They either love Justin Bieber or they hate everything about him. So do you remember like 15 years ago there was a compilation album called Pure Funk? That's a lot of the soundtrack of my program. 
Why? Because when they hear play that funky music, white boy, they don't go, I hate that song. They go, I know that song. That being said, they all love uh, Uptown Funk. Thank you, Bruno Mars. Um, and I can play the closing routine often in one of my programs is Bohemian Rhapsody, which is extremely dated, but it keeps getting resurfaced. The Muppets did it. Wayne's World did it. And then Kanye West ruined it. And then people found the original and went, oh, that's cool. So it keeps resurfacing. And they don't go, I hate that song. They go, I know that song. Rather than getting that polarized reaction, you're driving in a car, turn on the radio. At one point, I was using Taylor Swift, uh, make it, uh, shake it off. And suddenly, I've got half the audience tuning out because they don't like her. Which, no, I put on something else in that moment. So drew them in for that reason. But simplify uh, that tech inside of that as well. Let's talk about the business side of it. I've kind of got just a bunch of points here that I wanted to share some ideas on, which, again, applying it different ways. Uh, leverage success. Leverage success, which there is a marketing strategy that I live by, um, which is that my goal is for you to have rapport with me before you reach out to me, that you already know me by the time you're interacting with me. This is why there's so much video. This is why I make it a joke now that I repurpose everything. Uh, the podcast session that I have coming out this week is my keynote talk from Mid-America Hypnosis Conference last week. Um, Later on, the videos of what I did these last two nights are going to be something inside of that. Uh, I'm filming this, and I'll make this video available to you as a reference and using everything. So that mechanism of making use of media. So it's where my favorite connection to this is uh, anyone here watch The Simpsons? The marketing strategy is based on one little character that the late, great Phil Hartman used to play. Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such self-help programs as Smoke More. <laughs> so that Troy McClure effect is what I've now brand this as, where by the time the person calls, they've already watched the videos. They've already seen video clips of the program. They've already read articles about me. And it's already establishing the premise that this is the guy who does this. They're buying based on safety. There's no moment of, we don't know what this program is going to be. It's always that leveraging of success. My marketing strategy for schools used to be based on one sound. Thud. I would ship them about maybe two pounds of paper in a big envelope, which was well over 60 news articles about my program that had been featured in the news, well over 80 or 90 testimonials from other schools, articles that I had written and just it happened to have a promo DVD inside of it. And the result so frequently was the school advisor would go into the principal, hey, we want to do this assembly. You've read all this? Yeah. Okay. And just the moment of transparency. Here is my full client list of all the 300 plus schools that I've worked with. And take note, the ones with multiple asterisks, that marks the schools I've been back to year after year after year. And sometimes they would say, how do we know the program is appropriate for our students? <coughs> well, I'll say it simply. You have the entire list of all of my clients that I continuously work with. And if I was, and I'd use this language, if I was stupid enough to do something inappropriate at your school, I'd hope you'd reach out to all these schools and let them know about it. Oh, taken care of. Rather than, don't laugh at this, Tim, 
trust me, it's a clean show. <laughs> Rather, it's the, it's the strategy instead of tell, show, demonstrate. It's where even inside of this repurposing mindset, yes, you're getting my full attention. Yes, you're getting my full energy. Yet this content is going to have a life after this as well. Even going into a news interview, whether for print, whether for TV, what do I need in my marketing? What do I need this information to say? A common concern was, is the program safe? And I can stand there saying, hey, the program's safe. But even better, here's a moment where I could not be there for the live morning TV spot. I couldn't even phone in at the time they insisted it be because I was at another school five hours away. So they're interviewing the principal and a student talking about this program I was going to do at the school. And they say, is there anything you want us to talk about? Yes. It'd be great if you can talk about how safe the program is. So now it's no longer Jason Lynette, the hypnotist, saying, my program is safe. Watch this. This is great. Instead, it's the principal saying it's a safe program and it's outstanding. Hypnosis is something you do on your own every single day. Jason's a guy who just knows how to guide you there on purpose. I don't have to say that now. I've got this piece of media that now serves that for me. So harnessing and leveraging that success, which so often it comes back to in business, this is the same way we get referrals. This is the same way we can get more bookings. This is my one strategy that I use to build a whole bunch of uh, live talk opportunities to get out there and build my business. The line in theater, let me wrap this up, I'll come to you in a moment. The line in theater was don't applaud, uh, throw money. <laughs> don't compliment me, tell everybody else. So in that moment, after a presentation, they're raving, they're loving it. Hey, who do you know that would benefit from a program like this? What other schools do you know I could do this at? Hey, Honda dealership I'm doing the holiday party for. What other dealerships do you know of that would benefit from a program like this? Leverage that success. Take everything and build upon it, build upon it, build upon it. You had a question? When you first started and you didn't have all those testimonials and all those schools that you did, uh, what did you do the very first time you went out? What did I do when I got started and I didn't have all that stuff? We all start somewhere. Um, in the words of Sean Michael Andrews, we all wish we could call back our first client and say, no, really, I got better. Please come back. Uh, <laughs> so admittedly, I was hypnotizing somebody on television before my first official show because I was promoting it that hard and suddenly here's a local station that went, oh, can we do a feature on this? Do you want to hypnotize one of our interns on the air? Okay, which kind of goes into the confidence that's necessary with a stage hypnosis program when it was just a hobby for me. Um, at the time, my then girlfriend, now wife, um, her comment was, you need to work on that one moment of your presentation where uh, you turned and looked at the audience and you had the expression on your face that telegraphed, holy shit, it's working. Uh, <laughs> once you take that down, the program will be better. So we start somewhere and it's where at times it's just simply getting out there and doing it, though every presentation I've ever done, I've brought that camera. So I didn't have that at the beginning. So I wasn't able to go off and book the $4,000 corporate event. I wasn't able to book the 30,000 week of uh, tours of doing a whole bunch of shows in certain areas. Though the mindset is, how can I build this up? How can I build this up? So in terms of building that up, start with what you can from there. Yeah, you got a question? Yeah. 
Uh, question, I'm not a hypnotist, but I'm just curious in either your stage presentations or when you're applying or you know trying to get um, speaking or, and all that, at any point are you introducing them to what hypnotism actually is? Or do you just assume because that people know what it is? Do I assume people know what hypnosis is or do I introduce what it is? Um, this goes to a bigger picture question that I think differently about this and I think most people in our communities do. Um, my live brick and mortar business is called Virginia Hypnosis. And I built it on the premise that people in Virginia were looking for hypnosis. And my ideal client is somebody who has already decided that they want a hypnotist and they're doing their research and discovering I'm the most viable option. That's how I've built every bit of my marketing. If I'm going out and giving a live talk, to go to your specific question, I used to do the, here's the all about hypnosis, let me educate you as to what it is. Though then again, the accountant doesn't get up at their business networking meeting and say, here's what accounting is, here's what the IRS is in the States, here's how your taxes work. They're not doing that. So it's where, it's a dialogue that Luke and I were having last night around getting live talks. Uh, I would build a bit of a double bind, as we call it. I've got two presentations for your business group. Option number one is stress relief as an entrepreneur. How to relieve stress as you build your own business. Option two is um, hypnotic language patterns for public speaking, how to speak more confidently from the stage. Of those two presentations, which one is the best fit for your group? What's the product pacing moment? You're going to have me speak for your group. Where in that situation, I am not the hypnotist educating you about hypnosis. Instead, I am the hypnotist demonstrating my expertise in a mechanism that presupposes, here's what the hypnosis is good for. So I work and I live in a mentality where I am giving the pre-talk out of a courtesy rather than a necessity, which is different thinking than most of the people out there, which I'd point out, just set up a Google News alert, hypnosis is positively in the news every single day. And I think most of our communities need to update their thinking. Yes, there's still some education. Yes, there's still some presuppositions. Yet if I match the enthusiasm about how great this process is, I'm no longer selling the hypnosis. A little nuance, there's a lot of people, and I don't know if there's anyone here who does this, who make use of the phrase, hypnosis works in their marketing. Bothers the hell out of me. Why? Because um, I'm gonna get a haircut sometime later this week and the place I go to doesn't have a sign up that says, haircuts work. <laughs> they don't have to argue that. Um, you know, hey, glasses work. No, you already know that. <laughs> hey, clothing covers your body. You all know that. So it builds a binary decision of hypnosis works. No, it doesn't. As opposed to modify it. Hypnosis works quickly. Hypnosis works, added a modifier phrase. And the presupposition now is it works and now the decision point is what the pacing is, what the speed, and what ways does it work. So it's a slightly different answer than what you first asked, that I'm never selling hypnosis. No, yeah. It's, it's actually very helpful to me. I'm, I'm um, an expert in tapping. Mm -hmm. And so when I first started, I'm from Boston. Boston's extremely conservative. I mean, they're just starting to talk about meditation. Mm -hmm. And so I had to always go into this whole big thing. And so that's a good awareness, too, is that as I, I do speak all across North America, that more people are familiar with it, and I need to also become aware of that, too, and not feel I have to be always proving that tapping is, is great, which it is. This story is not you, so I'm not projecting this to you, but it's a story of a student of mine who came in one time. My 
certification trainings are most often weekend-based format. And then I've got one coming up in December that's an intensive straight through. So it's a weekend format. And it's the third weekend. And she goes, my family was saying that hypnosis is really weird. You should call it something else. And maybe I should hide from the name. I should call it something different. And my honest response was, it's not that they're saying that. It's that you're agreeing with them subconsciously. So it's where at a networking event, it was my job to professionally represent what I'm passionate about. And by accident, that got me a ton of clients. So if you're holding on any expectation that this is a little off-center, this is a little weird, it's where as I was active in a MPI group, Meeting Professionals International, and that was one of my mechanisms to get stage hypnosis programs, it was just that, yeah, I'm the hypnotist. And I'd be the first to crack the joke of, you know, same old, wait, what? <laughs> of treating it as this is just that standard thing. This is not something weird and out of the ordinary. Is that helpful to you? Yeah. Good, good. So let's bring it into some nuances um, within your program, where there's a nuance inside of how I do uh, magical hypnotic phenomenon that I want to get the result before I'm going for the result. So I was mentioning the, um, the uh, moments of hypnotic phenomenon. I want to see that arm is stiff and rigid and you can't bend it. What she said. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Shelly. Uh, I want to see that arm is completely stiff and rigid and you can't bend it before I even say, try to bend that arm. I want to have that conviction you've already got it. So on a similar note, bringing that into stage hypnosis, it's entertainment. We are there for entertainment. This is not necessarily just a demonstration. This is not an exhibition of hypnosis. Uh, instead, it's an entertainment program. So my goal at times is to get a laugh from the suggestion before the participants are responding to the suggestion, which could be as simple as timing. Um, you know, you saw a great sequence last night, the way that Brandon did the uh, uh, person next to you smells funny with a very, very clever way of doing that. You know, you're gonna smell something horrible, the room is gonna smell funny, you're not gonna know where it's coming from, you're gonna to try to smell, try to find that smell. Whenever I say this word, this is when you're gonna smell that thing. And the smell is coming from the person right next to you. And just that little bit of a throwaway of a line, the way that it's just this little tag at the end got the laugh, uh, at least from one out of 20 of you, so it's just you and me now. So <laughs> that experience of getting the laugh before going for the moment which can come down simply to pacing and timing. Just the let the silence sit, which I'll share the other little nuance around stage hypnosis. My one principle, first of all, too many are doing the excite you in the audience, bore the hell out of you, try to get you excited again, make your induction entertaining, be in the moment with the people, respond to what's going on. Um, they can talk when they're hypnotized, you know. Um, you can have them open their eyes, look at things, move them around. The more interactive it is, the more entertaining. In my opinion, it's going to drive them even deeper into hypnosis when they're getting that conviction of how deeply they're going. So the other nuance to it, though, is that, again, if I can give you the characteristic of most of the stage hypnosis shows I've ever seen, it's all the same tone. You're on a beach. It's getting really cold. Grab onto the person next to you. You're now a platypus. You're going to walk around the stage. I've never seen a platypus routine. You're on the stage. You're a platypus. This is what's happening, and everything is happening at this pace. They're just barking commands and orders the entire time out. And it's where to look at the structure of a good concert, to look at the structure of a good play, a good movie, 
there's texture, there's nuances. Um, those of you that have been around some of my business trainings, I talk way too much about Willie Nelson, which we went to see. There's a whole story that uh, on the marketing side, I brought my mother to see Willie Nelson around her birthday, and she had been listening to him for 30 years, and suddenly he's just outside. When This is Norfolk, Virginia. It's next to a mall. There's a concert venue. The big bus is parked outside, and you walk down the street, and here's this homeless man sitting in a, in a lawn chair reading a book. Oh, my God, that's Willie Nelson. Uh, <laughs> they didn't like it because he was stopping traffic, and he would just sit there and talk to anybody who walked by. They had been building rapport with him for 30 years. And suddenly, he's entering into that conversation as if he's already known them. That's the entire premise of my marketing. There's people who have listened to the 150 hours of my podcast. This is going to sound weird. I'm in their heads when they're at the gym. They're listening to me as they're driving. And they're getting that experience. And suddenly, now, they're in the room with me. And there have been so many conversations I've already had this weekend where I'm having to be in my head going, I think I've met this person. They finally go, you've never met me in person, but I've been listening to you for years. That's the goal of my marketing. That's how I run things. So the other Willie Nelson effect was that surprisingly, by the way, uh, he does a three-hour concert. His band takes two breaks. He never leaves the stage. And the texture, big, rowdy, on the road again. Everybody knows that song. They're all singing along. It's big. It's funny. Suddenly now he's doing Rainbow Connection, the Kermit the Frog song from the first Muppet movie, he's regressed everybody back to their childhood and everybody's crying. Suddenly now he's doing that song to all the girls I loved before, which was a duet with him and Julio Iglesias, which suddenly is a comedy routine because Willie Nelson is doing both parts <laughs> and doing the Spanish dialect. And it's the most hilarious thing. And he is the texture inside of this. So rather than, you're now a platypus and here's what's going to happen, find those moments where it's okay to have silence in your process. Here's the big thing where I, I do a sequence with a puppet. The puppet is dancing. They're responding. They're moving around as well. And before we wrap up, just one more thing. In a moment, we've all been having fun up here this evening. Just one more thing, though. In a moment when they open their eyes, no matter where they look in the room, they're not going to see me. As if maybe I've disappeared or maybe I've taken a bit, a bit of a break. They're still going to hear my voice, which, by the way, take note of what I'm doing there. It's an indirect suggestion. You know, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. Folks, their eyes are closed. You don't have to look at them. <laughs> They're deeply hypnotized. This is towards the end of the program. In a moment, here's what's going to happen. I'm interacting with the audience. I'm sharing this conversation with them. And when their eyes open, maybe I've taken a break. Maybe I've disappeared. Whatever it is. Whenever they hear my voice, it makes me disappear further and further away. I'm giving a suggestion for continued compounding of this invisible hypnotist routine. And it becomes a rather quiet moment, which slowly builds because now a little bit of soft music begins to play. And suddenly things begin to move around magically as I'm moving around chairs. Here's a person with like a hoodie sweatshirt. I'm flipping the hoodie up over their head. I'm getting two people here. I'm tapping his shoulder, tapping her shoulder. They're thinking something's happening. Um, building to a moment where suddenly I appear. And it's this little quiet of a moment that it wasn't getting the laughs when it was a big, raucous routine. It was getting better momentum from the audience when it was this quieter moment. So find that texture within your program. 
There's a nuance inside of, let me check time here. Yeah, we're good. There's a little nuance inside of pop culture references that I bring up too, which kind of goes about to a theme of you've probably had the experience of here's a thing that you liked as a child, cartoon, movie, whatever it was, and then to watch it again as an adult, suddenly you're recognizing nuances of that movie, that story that you didn't pick up on at that level of your maturity, which is where briefly one of my very first movie-going experiences ever was going to see with my grandmother, Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles. <laughs> this is how she decides to hang out with her six-year-old grandson, um, which the nuance of this story, we are in the Narrow Theater down in Virginia. Um, we are there, and uh, we are not only the only people, I don't claim Jewish, I claim Jewish. Um, we are the only Jewish people in the audience, and we're the only white people. And there's this incredible delayed reaction as the scene, if you know the movie, the Indians are speaking in Yiddish, which is this wonderful joke for like 10% of the audience of that movie. She would laugh so loud at what the Indian characters were saying. She'd then turn around and translate from the Yiddish, here's what he said, the audience would then laugh. So there's a nuance to humor that, again, I can think back to watching old cartoons, watching things. I was not the standard 10-year-old. Uh, I was watching a lot of Kids in the Hall, watching a lot of Monty Python. This was my humor. And there's things that now as the adult, oh, wow, that joke went there. Um, there's an amazing movie that I think it just won the Oscar of um, Zootopia, which our kids love. It's this movie of this little bunny who wants to be a police officer, and she befriends the evil fox, and suddenly now he's the good guy in the end, and spoiler alert, at the end, they're friends, and he becomes a police officer too. No, that movie is an incredible commentary on influencing the minority communities with drugs to try to turn them into criminals and lock them up. That's what that movie's really about. Yet Claire and Max are going, ah, silly bunny, and we're watching and going, this is incredible social commentary. So what am I getting at here? You can have a story hit different levels of communication. It's where there are some routines that hypnotists would make use of that you would think if I'm working with a group of teenagers, if I'm working in a more conservative group, don't do the open your eyes and I'm going to be completely naked. You're going to see the audience naked routine. However, isn't there a classic story of a person being naked in public and it's not R-rated? It's not filthy. Emperor's New Clothes. I've been on travel for the last couple of weeks, and surprisingly, one of the most difficult things when traveling is not getting a good night's rest or making sure you're eating healthy. It's just getting your clothing clean. Most hotels don't have laundry services, and I had to go to this one-hour dry cleaning place, and something funny happened. Whatever they did wrong today, for some reason, the back of my suit has gone completely missing. <laughs> And I'm not doing the, forgive the language, hey, look at my ass. I'm not doing that routine. But it's the, my clothing, the back is missing. And I'm able to play that moment. My program for a school, even a corporate group, is more conservative. Um, Disney goes further. I mean, Zootopia, this animated children's movie, is hitting a hard social commentary in that story, yet doing so in a wonderful animated way. Um, Yet it's this experience that people who want that type of humor are going to get it from that. And the ones who don't want me going there are not observing it. 
because it's me going, it's so wonderful being here in this area. I mean, it's a great place. It'd be nice if they swept the stage once in a while and they're all you know, getting the moment of the back of my suit is missing. Um, even so far as in a moment, uh, they fixed my suit. However, they're a little sloppy. For some reason, the front of my suit is missing, which this becomes a quick line in my program. Remember, big guy at the end of the stage. If I do this next sequence with the attractive girl, I am the sleazeball. I am the creep. Instead, the quick throwaway moment is, and for some reason, the front of my suit is now missing. One, two, three, eyes open. And here's my one big guy at the end. And I go, hey, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this program. I'm going for that handshake. And it's getting a huge laugh, but it's not the hey, hey kind of moment. The way that we can bring in pop culture references, um, which the reference to this ahead of time is the comedian Aziz Ansari. If you saw when it was on Parks and Recreation, he was on that show. He is a genius at something in comedy. A lot of his routines are the fact that he is this little Indian-American co uh, comedian who tells a lot of jokes about hanging out with rappers. And if you don't know who Kanye West is, if you don't know who Fitty Cent is, to pronounce it properly, you are still laughing because you don't have to get the specific reference the way he structures the joke. He has this whole routine about being in a restaurant with the rapper Fitty Cent, again, to pronounce it properly. And the story is he orders a grapefruit soda and is now arguing with the waiter that it isn't purple. And the punchline is, everybody, listen carefully. A grown man is about to learn what a grapefruit is, which you don't have to know who that rapper is. You don't have to know the specific reference. It's where, again, if they get the reference, it's funny on this level. If they don't get the reference, it's still funny because I ordered a grapefruit soda. Why isn't it purple? Because a grapefruit is a fruit, and a grape is also another fruit. So there was one magical weekend where, um, what's my phrasing on this? Uh, that guy who happens to be our president now down in the States <laughs> um, tweeted something that was absolutely uh, gibberish. And despite all the mechanisms of government and all the powers that be, no one edited away Kofefe. This random thing where in the middle of some insane toilet tweet at 3 in the morning, um, Kofefe went out to the entire world, which is not a word. And suddenly there was some controversy that weekend where one hypnotist completely lifted someone else's routine in terms of changing a name. And I'm hearing this dialogue and I'm going, I can get the validity of this argument, but then again, that's a standard routine everybody does. So there's both sides of it. But wait a minute, Kofefe is trending right now. Person I'm tapping on the shoulder now, for some reason, whatever your name used to be, it just completely fades away. Your name is and ha has forever been Kofefe. You're proud of your name. It's a family name. It's been with you for all these years. Whenever I ask your name, you're going to become increasingly proud that your name is Kofefe. One, two, three, and it becomes this whole routine on YouTube. There's a video clip of me doing it with this one kid where we're arguing around the pronunciation of it, the origination of it, and the audience is roaring at it. Which, take note, the way that was played, it wasn't me going, look at what this stupid guy in the office did. It wasn't me going, isn't this great we have this president who does this thing. It wasn't any commentary on whether we like the guy or don't like the guy. It was just simply utilizing this word, which one part of the audience is laughing because they're going, ha ha, Trump joke. The other audience is going, ha ha, 
his name is now different. That a bit of humor can play on different levels. I will note I did that like six times that weekend, and only one time this dad came up to me at the end of one of these school programs and goes, that was offensive that you did that. To which I just stood there and said, I never said his name, didn't I? Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. In fact, I'm going to put the clip of what I just did, the one you're responding to, as my YouTube clip of this. And I want you to watch it. Hypnotic language patterns. And I wonder just how much more empowered you're going to become in your own communication when you realize that the words you don't hear are affecting you that strongly. I got to go pack up. I'll see you later. <sighs> got a nice email from the guy afterwards. Um, little note in terms of, again, handling. So again, don't pick a side. You know, it's where I am perfectly, I mean, my whole thing is I am so uh, asexual in my show. I'm not going any direction. I am not projecting anything. I'm not commenting on appearance. I'm not taking any political sides. I'm not making any references in a way that is going to offend anybody. I'm letting you fill in the jokes. A little nuance in terms of suggestions. Remember that we're hypnotists. It's a good little note to bring about here. Uh, and very often, at the count of three, this is what's going to happen. One, two, three, here's the result. What are our representational systems in terms of hypnotic suggestions? Visual, auditory, kinesthetic, gustatory, olfactory are sensory awarenesses. And I refer to this as VAKing your suggestions. So in a moment, you're going to be arriving uh, poolside at a comfortable uh, Island location, beautiful day as one, sitting upright in that chair, feel the sights and sounds of this beautiful island location surrounding you. Two, take a nice deep breath in, let that warm island air fill up your lungs, smelling so good. Three, as you feel that warm temperature around your body, be there at that beach. So rather than one, two, three, bam, you're there. Instead, one, drawing out some of the representational language, eliciting those realities, helping you to step into that situation. Two, drawing in more sensory representations, drawing them in. Three, be there now as this other sensory thing is happening. Which that little nuance alone, so often you can apply this to everything inside of the hypnotic experience. If we're trying to elicit a sense of confidence with your client in the office, as I count from one onward, bring up the sensation more and more. And kind of hitting that checklist in your mind of what are the sensory states that we need to draw out to get you into this experience? What are the sensations that are going to be there? Become aware of the way that your posture shifts when you're in that confident state. As you feel the grounded sensation of your feet on the ground and the sensation of your voice resonating in the chambers of your body, as you feel that sensation, discovering now just how easily you speak confidently. Which again, rather than just saying, be there, you're feeling confident. <laughs> Instead, elicit the realities, draw in those representational sensations. And by doing that, I got an even stronger result by bringing you hypnotically into those experiences. I've actually just got two final points to share that we can kind of open up for a bit of a Q&A on this, um, which briefly, my background, I started with stage. I did a ton of school shows, corporate programs. Uh, I then branched that into sort of corporate and uh, nonprofit wellness programs, which kind of seamlessly brought me over to the hypnotherapy side of things, 
which then from there introduced me into the training side of things, which then from there I was at my first meetup event as a hypnotist with people going, it's going to be slow your first year. You shouldn't have quit your job that quickly. And I was back the next month with a fully packed schedule. The next month I was there again teaching as a two-month-in full-time stage full-time hypnotherapist. Here's what I did to grow my practice, which I share this lineage not to say, ha-ha, look how awesome I am, but really I've done a little bit of everything inside of it. So any questions you've got, bounce me off as a resource because I've kind of dabbled inside of all of it. Though again, back to the point, your program is entertainment. And you should be enjoying the entertainment just as much as the audience. You should be a part of that experience. The same mentality of you're in my office and here's my client and something magical is happening. There's a brief story. My favorite client experience was a woman who called up and uh, I know I need to quit smoking, but I don't know if I want to. That's traditionally a red flag. Yet I heard something about her intonation that I thought, let me try something out here. What's the line from Dave Elman? If you follow my instructions, I know I can help you. If you're not willing to follow my instructions, I don't know a thing in the world that will help you. So what do you want to do? I want to do this. Okay, come on in. It was the most stage hypnosis, hypnotherapy session I have ever done. It was all about hypnotic phenomenon. My entire premise was she is stuck in the hypnotic phenomenon that she can't change this. And I got to break that reality by throwing every bit of hypnotic phenomenon into this. And there's a beautiful moment where we get to a place where the hand is stuck to her leg. And the more you try to lift away that hand, it sticks even tighter. Try to lift it, it sticks even tighter. Full open, eyes open phenomenon. What does that feel like? Yeah, I got time. We could hang out all day. You can go back to work with your hand stuck to that leg, right? And we're just kind of in that little bit of byplay, the same way a stage routine would often play out. And the payoff was, you know what's really cool about this? I haven't even talked about your right hand. Your right hand is also stuck to your right leg. Kind of weird, right? Yeah. By the way, this is hypnosis. You're doing great. So what do you got planned the rest of the day? Uh, <laughs> and she's there in that phenomenon. My mindset is that moment where they're interviewing the person on television and the kids are in the background screwing around because the camera's going where I'm just playing the look-don't-see with this moment of the hand stuck to the legs, and I'm just fully there in the audience with her. Yeah, this is weird, isn't it? Oh, I see this all the time. That's normal. But close your eyes, and as you decide what this experience truly means to you and your ability to release those cigarettes, that's when those hands will easily release from your lap and position somewhere else. Take as much time as you need. Do that for yourself. That's a moment of fingers crossed hypnosis as you're going, please do it. <laughs> and she then moves the arms to the arms, to the, arms of the chair, hasn't smoked since. Um, forgive the language, it's a quote, but it's my favorite testimonial ever. It was bizarro and maddeningly, maddeningly weird. Jason knows his shit. <laughs> um, I send that testimonial out to people to say, I know you're not coming for quitting smoking, but understand Stephanie's feedback is my favorite one ever. That's the one session I've ever done in that format. But again, it's a moment that illustrates being in the moment with your client, commenting on what's happening. So something funny happens. You are the director of this play. And you're the one who's telling them what to do, how to respond. Audiences, especially now, need to be trained how to be audiences. So give them that round of applause. You're clapping with them. You're laughing at it first. 
You're the one reacting, whether it's genuine, whether you have to act it, you know, to take that moment, find that place to really just lose it in that program that something funny has happened and you can't continue. The program Saturday Night Live is classic for this. This popped up earlier today. Um, the bit that the uh, comedian Bill Hader used to do, the character Stefan, who uh, the whole thing was he was this real millennial character and describing these absolutely grotesque clubs in New York City. Uh, the lineage of that bit was actually another comedian by the name of John Mulaney, um, who was helping to write that routine. But the reason this guy was cracking up doing this bit on television was they would put in new jokes on the cue cards and he was having to see it for the first time. That's why he was cracking up. And that routine became so popular, not just because it was some of the best writing they've ever done, uh, where he just throw out these random references. Oh, they have Furkles. What's a Furkle? Oh, it's a fat Urkel. <laughs> this random thing that he would just treat as being normal, this amazing routine. But it was also so popular because it was him cracking up the whole way through it and trying to fight the laughter. And that type of moment, to be there in that experience, it is genuine. And if you can't make it genuine, practice it. You know, it's where I say, even as I work with a client for fear of public speaking, surround yourself with good information. Surround yourself with good conscious reinforcement. I tell that fear of speaking client, listen to a lot of TED Talks. Listen to podcasts with good speakers. And if you want to be funnier in your program, one of my character flaws, I embrace this, if I'm in my car listening to music, I am falling asleep. Um, that being said, uh, as I'm in the gym religiously lifting weights, my soundtrack is officially um, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry. Yeah, that's how I make it happen. Uh, hitting a new personal record, deadlifting, Carly Rae Jepsen, ca call me maybe. Just me. It somehow works for me. It's the polarized reaction. So in my car, it's all comedy podcast. It's all stand-up comedy. Um, it's where... Uh, there's a beautiful moment with a late comedian who is incredible, uh, Kevin Meany, if some of you remember him. We're seeing the musical, broad, uh, musical Hairspray on Broadway. He's suddenly this small part, and everybody's leaving the stage door at the end of the performance, and they're all going after this pop star who's in the show, this famous actor who's in the show, and here's this little-known comedian, and I yell out one of his old taglines, and he goes, hey, <laughs> and we start to talk, and he goes, Hey, I'm going to go get a coffee. You want to hang out? Yes. <laughs> this is awesome. So surround yourself with humor. Now, don't rip off routines, but you can model the style the same way that in my presentations, if I'm trying to sell something, there's the transition of the Steve Jobs, but one more thing. You know, here's another thing I want to share with you. That's that easiest transition. I'm not ripping off his words, instead modeling the style. The final thought is, um, in the words of Marie Mongan, the founder of hypnobirthing, some of the happiest people you'd ever meet are completely out of their minds. They're completely out of their minds, and instead they're in the experience. What do I mean by that specifically with, with hypnosis, whether it's the client? You've had that moment, I mentioned this last night, where you're thinking, this isn't working, this isn't going well, this person's not motivated, and then they're back the next week and everything has shifted. You'll have those moments where you're thinking, this isn't going well. They're not entertaining. The volunteers are not as animated as I would like them to be. And the statement I'd always give you is, is the audience laughing? Where sometimes you've got to listen to that audience where you might be in your head critiquing, judging, 
hating everything you're doing, but always have that grounding moment to go back to, are they laughing? Are they smiling? Which if they're not, once again, you go first. You start to telegraph to that audience exactly how the presentation should go. Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program. Thank you so much for leaving your reviews and feedback and sharing it on your social media streams. And this is fun, but let's hang out in person. Check out WorkSmartNLP.com or WorkSmartHypnosisLive.com, as well as the training page over at WorkSmartHypnosis. Dates and details are on all those pages. Look forward to seeing you in class very soon. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com.